Okay, welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to uh, this episode of Kuden Podcast Radio. Uh, what are we calling it this these days? Kuden Radio, I guess, yeah? Okay, so uh, first episode of uh, 2024. That's going to be one of my New Year's resolutions, okay? to write 2024 and not 2023, because I've been writing 2023 for how long? <laughs> anyway, so uh, welcome. Not only is this the first episode, it's on the very first day, so uh, another holiday uh, episode. Most of you guys know how I like to stay consistent, so here we are. Anyway, so um, let me tell you, we'll, we'll start with a little... Man, not, I don't think I'll hold the story, the whole story. But anyway, um, I have not spent a New Year's in Japan itself. However, the closest I've gotten was actually uh, one year, many years ago. uh, And it's not possible to do anymore because they tore it down. Anyway, um, there is a little uh, island, right, uh, off of Toronto, Toronto, uh, Ontario, Canada sits on Lake Ontario, or at least that's its waterfront. And, um, there are these little islands and little, uh, outcrops and things like that that come off the landmass. And, um, there was this park, I believe it was called Ontario Place. And, um, there was a monument there dedicated years prior to the Japanese Canadian community. And I had been invited up by my friend, uh, Court Elliott and, uh, his lady, uh, Shirley, Izan, uh, Imazumi, and, uh, to come up and do New Year's because instead of going and doing the whole party thing, right, uh, we were going to go and, uh, do it Japanese style and literally ring in the New Year, right? And so that was one of the most memorable, uh, moments of my life, not just because of my connection to the art and my connection to Japanese friends and things like that, but um, what really stood out was the contrast between that and the way we typically do things in the West, okay? Anyway, I'll talk about that more, and we'll get into it, and a bunch of other things that are, everything we're going to be doing uh, during this episode is really kind of wrapped around this whole idea uh, that's summed up in a Japanese phrase uh, where we would say that you're wishing someone a happy new year, but we're going to dive into that and a bunch of the symbols uh, here uh, when we get back. Right. So the big question is this, how are self-defense and success-minded people like us, concerned citizens worried about protecting ourselves, our loved ones, and the things we care about from the monsters we know exist in the world? How do we train in a way that gives us the skills, knowledge and understanding we need without becoming paranoid fighters or killers ourselves and yet still allows us to be the hero protector the world needs us to be that's the question and this podcast will give you the answers my name is jeffrey miller and welcome to kuden radio real training for real people in a real world all right and we are officially starting episode 192 i know in some locations uh, it says 191 i did a little foobar thing there, right? So this is actually episode 192. So we are eight shy of uh, rounding things out to 200, right? So um, anyway, it is for those of you listening in uh, on the uh, <clears throat> on the audio only uh, podcast services like uh, Apple Podcasts and uh, Pandora and a bunch of those. Um, uh, 
or catching this later, 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 right? Today is January 1st, 2024, right? So this is our first ever, 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 ever holiday uh, episode. And so um, just made it, you know, wanted to make sure that we were not only staying consistent with things, but uh, I did the same thing, what, a week or so ago um, on Christmas 2023 because, well, the way the calendars work, as far as the Gregorian Gregorian calendar, you, that's going to be that's going to uh, uh, be kind of prominent during this uh, episode. But um, based on the way the calendar is laid out, um, Christmas and New Year's Day, Christmas Day, New Year's Day, of course that means Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve do the same thing. But anyway, right? They fall on the same calendar days. So if Christmas is on a Tuesday. Then New Year's Day is going to be on the Tuesday. If you get the idea, right? Well, this year it happened to fall on a Monday, and Mondays are our Kuden days. So here we are, right? Uh, anyway, <clears throat> so uh, what I was uh, what I opened up with before we uh, ran into the title intro sequence there. Uh, for those of you who are signing in late, was I was discussing. Uh, one year, several years back, uh, it's got to be a decade or more. Well, it's got to be more than a decade. Wow. Um, I, uh, but anyway, I was invited to uh, celebrate uh, New Year's with uh, some of my Canadian friends in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And so I drove up and uh, we did our thing. And so, uh, you know, it was a couple of days here or there, but on New Year's Eve, we uh, went to this park, uh, this this area, right? Uh, there's all these little recreation areas, and there's a yacht club and all kinds of things on these outcroppings from Toronto as it kind of pokes out into Lake Ontario, obviously on the Canadian side. And um, <clears throat> the reason uh, I was invited up and the reason I said yes was because we were going to be doing something that is very, very uh, Japanese to literally ring in the new year. And so my story is partly about that, but partly about a moment that I had just a few minutes, maybe 30 minutes, maybe uh, I don't know, 30 minutes to an hour, give or take, uh, into the new year that year that struck me in such a way um, that it created one of those indelible moments, right? Those memories that are just, unless something happens to my brain, it can't be forgotten. And so, uh, um, but at, in this area called Ontario Place, there was this monument that was dedicated many, many years before. Um, so, uh, it was dedicated to and uh, for the Japanese Canadians, right? So these Japanese that had emigrated to Canada set up in that region. And there was such a uh, uh, significant number, right? And how they were contributing to and influenced by and things like that, right? So there was this, there was this monument and the monument was a temple bell, right, that had been shipped over from Japan, right? And I can't remember the entire history behind it, but it's it's easy to look up, right? 
they have long since dismantled this monument. It was one of the saddest days of my friends' lives, and I didn't take it that well either, but, you know, everybody wants to have progress and everyone wants to develop things and well anyway but it was uh if you've ever been to japan if you've ever seen these things on temple grounds <clears throat> instead of the bell being in a steeple or uh something like that right uh, they have these platforms and sometimes they're at ground level like uh the one that i uh had the honor of ringing um at uh, Hiezan, Hiezan, right, where the Tendai Temple is. I was trying to remember if I did one at Koyasan for the Shingon Temple. But, um, so, and sometimes you have to walk up multiple steps and there's this platform. And then there are these pillars. It's basically, <coughs> excuse me, my grandson gave me a cold, so Happy New Year. Anyway, so, um, uh, basically like a gazebo, um, it's not, a, definitely not a pagoda, definitely not, definitely not a pagoda. Anyway, so it's, <laughs> for those of you old enough to remember, know the reference. Anyway, so, and then in it, there's this big bell, uh, really big, right, enormous bells. And, uh, they tend to not have the clacker inside, right? There's not this, this big thing. Uh, a lot of European bells are set up this way, kind of. Uh, but what they have is what amounts to a tree trunk, right, as kind of a battering ram, right, uh, tied to and supported by very, very thick ropes. And then uh, in the case of this particular one, uh, there were handles along the side where you pull it back and you, you know, boom. So, um, uh, that's what we did, right? So there was this, there's this, uh, bell and we had this bell ringing, uh, thing because, uh, in Japan at the stroke of midnight and actually leading up to it in some regions, all these Buddhist temples, right? You can hear the ringing of the bells, right? These gong like bells, um, everywhere, just everywhere, right? And I don't know what it's like there because, again, I haven't done it personally in Japan yet. However, I know what it was like on that little island at that monument. And there were, there were over 100 people that showed up for this thing. And so uh, the Buddhist, there was a Shinto priest and there was a Buddhist priest. And they both did this traditional Japanese New Year kind of thing. And then everyone got a chance to do three rings on the bell, right? And so by the time you get up there, your body was already buzzing because of the vibrations and all that kind of stuff, right? But it was it was both empowering and soothing and quieting, I think is a good term. At the same time, right? And then we were all gifted with this uh, this uh, piece of mochi or mochi. I'm sorry, mochi, uh, which is and it's not the ice cream mochi for those of you who like your brain went right there, right? It's not mochi ice cream, right? It's just this glutinous rice that everybody prepares the year before. Um, it's also 
unfortunately responsible for a lot of deaths in Japan uh, on New Year's Day and following it because, like, if you're not careful, like, it'll just get gunked up in your throat and there's no getting it back out. But it's this rice, uh, rice and flour and whatnot that's that's mixed up and then it's pounded into these very, very dense bricks, right? I could see how they would be um, a good food source for, like, an extended period of time because of the way they're made and whatever, right? It kind of reminded me of beef jerky, but no meat products, right? So <clears throat> we're all gifted with one of these because that's another one of these uh, traditions. Um, and while that was really, really significant, I, I stayed until the end. I stayed until the last person rang uh, the bell, right? And then my friend introduced me to uh, one of the priests. I think it was the Shinto priest um, that coincidentally was his friend. And I, I still think he should run for mayor of Toronto because the guy knows everybody. And his his claim to fame is just connecting people, right? So, Court, if you ever hear this, um, dude, just keep doing what you're doing. But anyway, um, so you introduced uh, you know, and connected to the art and my connection with, uh, Tendaishu, uh, Mikyo, uh, and those kind of things. So I got gifted with a, with an additional blessing for the new year, which again, cool, but, um, just kind of added to the experience. And then we all kind of started on our way because the, the parking area was quite a distance away. And we got there fairly early, um, after six, seven, something like that. So we were there for quite a while before the ringing of the bell, obviously. And it was, to say it was chilly, that'd be an understatement because we were coming right off of Lake Ontario where they have all that lake effect snow and shit like that. Luckily, I don't, I don't think it was snowing. I don't remember snow. I remember cold. I don't remember snow. But, um, so when we got there, Everything was quiet. Everything was peaceful and things like that, right? Um, and so we had our moment, right? We were doing our thing. And when we left, there were several from not only, like, Court's friends and whatnot, but um, uh, another friend, Greg, he had a dojo up there. And I used to go up and, and teach seminars or I'd go up if he had, you know, guest instructor or something like that. And several of his students uh, were there with him as well. So most of us stayed until the very end. And then to get back to the parking area, right, you have to cross this bridge. And it's just a footbridge, right? Um, but it's not, it's not a short bridge. And it's not that high up off the water either. I mean, it's hard to, hard to realize that you're like walking, oh, walking across Lake Ontario. They're not across like states to, to Canada or whatever, but just a small section. Right. And Toronto's to my left. And it's just that's part of just a tiny sliver of the waterfront. And then Lake Ontario and the U.S. are just a couple of miles away. Right. And so anyway, we're walking across this thing and we're all just kind of I wouldn't say I was numb. I was very much Zen mind. Right. It was just a very. Almost, almost like a cleansing had occurred, right? Mind was, you know, I knew where I was going, wasn't lost, anything like that. But 
the mind was very quieted, right? Um, if there were a hundred people there, then 300 rings of a ginormous freaking bell, um, and not high pitched. It was very low pitched and stuff like that, but the vibrations and whatnot. Um, I had a similar experience sitting in a theater, very back, like nosebleed seats, because we got the last, last tickets that were available. Uh, and we traveled four hours to Pittsburgh from where I live. So west, um, because the Japanese, uh, uh, drumming group, Kodo, was performing. And we found out like last minute, so we canceled classes and a bunch of us jumped in cars and all went out there. But after one of their shows, like I can't imagine what the people who paid extra to be like up front in the nosebleed seats, can't imagine they would have had nosebleeds because the place just vibrated, right, the entire time. There were people that, that had chronic pain that were reporting afterwards that all the pain was gone because of that. Basically, it was sound therapy. <laughs> Excuse me, I apologize. Anyway, so, um, but I was in that kind of a state, and I was very, I was very, uh, I was very much in my head, and just kind of thinking about the experience. And we were all walking pretty much single file. There might have been somebody to my left. I don't remember, but we weren't talking. Right, we're just heading back to the to the cars and all of a sudden what broke through that state of mind was this nightclub over to our right because the the, uh, the waterway kind of like hooked around a bit and so on the other side of this bridge there was this club I don't know what kind of venue it was normally but there was this fucking ginormous New Year's bash going on, right? And, you know, there was, you know, loud music, there was the whooping and, you know, whatever, right? And that broke through. And so the moment it that's that's kind of seared into my brain, that will help me to always remember the Japanese thing. And that, that was really, really cool. But the moment that I had was in recognizing the stark difference between the way the holiday is celebrated in the East versus the West. Okay? Does that mean in Japan or in certain Eastern countries and whatnot, there aren't Western style celebrations? No, of course not, right? But those kind of things are normally done uh around uh like the spring solstice right the new birth and things like that or the the autumn the autumnal uh equinox and things like that right so um and we'll talk about that here in a minute but um there's just this huge difference right that things that my teachers had told me years before like really sunk in right that when it comes to holidays, because the Japanese have imported a lot, right, including Christmas, okay, um, the way the holidays are seen and uh, and celebrated are like 180 degrees in the opposite direction, right? Like Christmas 
and I know it's for how long has it been uber commercialized and like that, right? But the 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 original meaning and whatnot behind it, right? Um, is it's the you know it's about gratitude, it's about you know celebration and gift giving and things like that. Uh, and I know there are Christmas parties and whatnot, so this is like splitting splitting hairs because um, as time goes on, um, this may rub people the wrong way. And you know what? My new thing for 2024 is I don't care. My thing isn't about whether I rub somebody the wrong way. My thing is my job is to wake people up so they don't have to like it. Okay? They won't ever forget that I said it, which is fine with me, because my job is to plant seeds. And hopefully at some point that seed germinates and serves its purpose. But um, where Christmas is more of the religious holiday and then New Year's is the party celebration kind of thing, in Japan it's exactly the opposite. Because Christmas was, was imported. Now, there are Christian organizations and and things like that in Japan uh, all over the place, right? Everything from from Judaism to uh, Protestant, uh, different denominations to Catholicism. Um, But it's just different, right? The the vast majority of the country, um, Christmas is the celebration, you know, work Christmas party, copying that aspect from the West. New Year's, New Year's is where you set your goals, where you, right, you, you focus on things. And, and there's even, uh, I was going to say subtle, uh, kind of references and things like that, but some of them are not so subtle, right? And we're going to talk about some of those during this episode, but, um, the, the idea, right? of the whole new year and this idea of renewal, right? Um, Believe it or not, it used to be a huge part of things here in the West as well. But in the name of progress, in the name of change, in the name of, well, the world's different these days. We don't do it like that anymore. Um, Yeah. So, um, you know, people tend to not know why the hell they do things. It's just another day off. It's uh, another reason to party. It's uh, another reason to get more shit that you didn't have before, right? Or you didn't want to have to spend money to get for yourself or whatever, right? Right? So anyway, um, we'll continue on this because I'm going to segue to calendars here in just a minute. But uh, James is on for this one. Yay, James. Right? So uh, who do we have? I see well over a dozen live that is recording to us. And while you're checking in with that, <coughs> I'm going to try to keep my my voice or my throat wet. Uh, we got Dave, Jared, Jeffrey, Victor, Jimmy, Glenn. Well, apparently you people didn't have anything better to do on Christmas or uh, New Year's night. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Everybody's saying good evening, happy new year. Dave said, Dave said and now you need to say 
今年もよろしくお願いします。Yeah, that's it. Just James just nodding. Yeah, like that. Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry, I'll translate、yeah. it here in a minute. <laughs> Actually, you say, I can watch them. Then you say, 今年もよろしくお願いします。Trinity and Lee are on as well. Awesome, 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 awesome. Awesome, awesome. Trin worked all day. She supposedly rested all day too, but anyway. All right, so. We good? Any questions? No comments? Well,、uh, I guess the only one was Dave said one thing he misses about living overseas are all the bells. Hmm. Yeah. I, I was in Korea for a year and I lived in Germany for three. And,、uh, yeah. That, the, in Korea, right near the post where I was stationed, like we were surrounded by these, these, White cliffs. If anybody's ever seen、uh, the TV series MASH, and I know you gotta be pretty old at this point to watch MASH, right? But in the opening scenes, which actually a lot of that came from the movie itself, they didn't reshoot it for the TV series.、Um, but these choppers come flying through like this mountain range to this MASH unit, right? For those of you who don't know, MASH is an old army acronym for a medical unit, right? Mobile army. Uh, surgical hospital, right? MASH. And so, which, that's how people often would show up. <laughs> these doctors had to stitch these guys back together. But anyway,、um, where I was stationed, those mountains surrounded us, right? I was really close to, to that area. So, anyway, another claim to fame. Yay, me. <laughs> so, anyway,、um, I went with some. Uh, Korean army,、uh, they were called Katusa, right? Korean augmentation to U.S. Army, to United States Army, right? So they were Korean soldiers, but instead of working or instead of being,、uh, assigned to rock units, ROK, Republic of Korea, rock units. Oh, some dumb motherfucker. Anyway, sorry.、Uh, <laughs> those are some, anyway, so, um, uh, Some of these guys were from the region and whatnot. And so,、um, as I became more and more interested in Eastern philosophy and things like that, because I, I had gone through a phase where I, I had done a lot of studying across the board with different Western religions. I mean, my grandfather was Jewish. I had、uh, an aunt and uncle that were Catholic. I had Lutherans.、Uh, you know, it's just Catholic light, I think. It's just same salvation, half the guilt. It's kind of like a beer commercial.、Um, and then, you know, I was raised Methodist and whatever, right? So I really started looking into these things. And what was missing was I had no idea what Eastern things were doing. And here I was in this place where I could, I could research 
But what has always amazed me, and there's there's things on my bucket list around this planet that I'm going to want to see before I right, uh, am ashes again, um, that it, it has always amazed me that while there are some pretty significant things that human beings do for progress, that they have done, uh, you know, to advance the human civilization and things like that, right? I don't think there's been that much or as much done as there has been to make sure that spiritual traditions get passed on and are protected and safe. For instance, in these white hills, right? And there's, there's a similar area in Japan where a statue of Enno Gyoja, who was a, uh, he was the, uh, assumed or, what would you say? The, um, he's credited with founding the Shugendo, right? Senin practices, right? Mountain worship and, and those kind of things, right? So, and it's not really about worship. It's about putting yourself to the test, right? And, becoming fearless, right? The ninja were, uh, were connected to these guys and stuff like that. But there's one of these. There's a cave with a statue of this guy. It's, it's, it's not the easiest thing to get to. Of course, Togakushi, the top shrine, at my age with my hips and arthritis, not the easiest thing to get to, but I do it every time I go. So, um, but... In these white cliffs, right, there is a cave that is man-made. It was dug out of the rock. And a Buddha statue carved out of the rock, right, that's in this thing. And it is, like, stories. And I don't mean like I'm telling you a story. I mean like a building. Stories up off the ground. You've got to climb to get to this thing. And, uh, again, not the easiest thing in the world. Anyway. So I digress. So um, uh, some of the things that I'm going to be talking about during this episode that have to do with Japanese tradition and uh, also that tie in with Chinese tradition because they're linked. Um, regarding the new year are going to sound like you may have missed an opportunity. But we have to remember that... Like the Japanese started using the Gregorian calendar, the Western calendar, in 1873. So during the Meiji Restoration. And the Chinese, not until 1912, I think, right? Koreans were right in the middle there somewhere, 1890 something. Anyway, right? So, um, before that, Right. The new year was the solstice. It was the spring equinox kind of thing. Right. Because it was it has to do with the rebirth of the world. Right. And you can read into all the history and stuff like that and why everything was shifted back into January and had the focus was taken away from anything that might even have a hint of paganism and shifted to uh, you go from the rebirth of the sun, S-U-N, to the rebirth of the sun, S-O-N. Anyway, a whole bunch. I have weird hobbies. Anyway, so um, 
But the Gregorian calendar is based on solar years. Okay. The old calendars that the Chinese and the Asians and people in the West, right, uh, originally focused on were lunar cycles. Okay. So that's why we have a disparity um, where we have terms that a lot of people don't know where they came from, like uh, the phrase once in a blue moon. The hell's a blue moon? I've never seen a blue moon. Okay? A blue moon is a second full moon that occurs in the same calendar month. Okay. So happens every once in a while, but you know, okay. But you know, when the Pope had uh, did the calendar and all that, Pope Gregory did the calendar, had a couple extra days and kind of tough. But he actually brought things more into alignment with the way a full year based on a, a, what the astronomers were, were showing and placement and things like that, right? Because the other ones, um, there was there was a lot of time off, right? Uh, it was off. But anyway, um, so you don't really, you didn't really miss anything, okay? And and we do we do something. Uh, at the school, I take off, right? Between Christmas and New Year's, I get a chance to visit family. I get to catch up on some projects and whatnot. I finally got the first draft of a new book that I'm writing <clears throat> for uh, corporate C-suite leaders on uh, in healthcare for protecting their people against workplace violence. And I needed to get it done so I could get it to the CEO. That's coincidentally uh, a student of mine uh, who has agreed to write the forward. Right? And I needed to get that to him and stuff like that. So the time off really helped. Um, but we also do a, a celebration at the Academy to celebrate the Chinese New Year, right, to, to bring it, to, to do it during the same time it would normally have been done by, and here's the key point, by our samurai and ninja ancestors. Okay. So they wouldn't have been celebrating any kind of renewal or any kind of new year or anything like that. Now it would be, you know, another season, right? It'd be after winter was waning, right? So um, I love it when people throw around the words like, I only do it the traditional way. Mm, really? How much do you know about tradition, okay? And where, what, what era are we talking about? What, anyway. So prior to 1873, the Japanese were on that lunar calendar, okay? Prior to 1912, the Chinese were still on the lunar calendar, right? But, um, and actually for us, for the Western, for the West, um, that calendar switch 1580-something, so it was late 1500s, right, when that kind of thing switched over, right? Not that anybody knows or cares, right, because the farther away you get from a, a critical piece of information, right, people are just more likely to slip into the he said, she said, this is the way it's always been done, I don't give a fuck um, kind of attitude, right, um, even though it might might be important, right? I mean, why do people do that? Why do people hang wreaths on their doors? Why does, you know, why do they, in the West here, why do they set up Christmas trees and things like that? Had to do with bringing life inside of a house um, during the dead of winter, right? It was something that kept the spirits up. Whether it ever invited spirits in from the outside, 
get something in your house that has the smell of nature and its life and whatnot when everything outside is freaking frozen and dead, right? So it, it, it sometimes it can just be the meaning behind it, right? Why the reeds on the door? Well, that was – and they do the same thing in Japan, right? It's not necessarily a wreath, but this kind of thing is, is hung – to invite the spiritual ancestors to still enjoy, right, the connection with the family and to uh, invite them in from the cold and darkness and, and things like that. So interesting stuff, right? Well, maybe not to you, but to me. Again, Geek Central, my podcast, right? So <laughs> I don't sense that you're a dick. Anyway, all right, so <coughs> excuse me. All right, so um, – so I, I think this year you can look this up to, to verify it because I, I just I don't remember exactly off the top of my head. I think the Chinese New Year starts on February 10th. Um, so you got some time. Right. But this whole idea from this original time period. Right. Again, during the time period of our samurai and, and ninja ancestors. Was a time of cleansing. It was a time of, uh, like, dropping things that were – dropping heavy weights, right? So um, settling debts and, and, and prepping for. Um, again, the Japanese are following – the modern Japanese are following this Western thing because, again, Meiji Restoration, a big part of that was the merchants taking over and the social elite – Right. Believing that their old traditions were barbaric and behind the times and anything from the West was good or was better. And you can see symbols of this even today uh, with people that are especially senior citizens and whatnot. Right. They'll be dyeing their hair brown or nobody. Typically, they don't go as crazy as, as Soke did uh, and doing purple because right, his wife said he, he would look good on him. Anyway, right, it has more to do with a don't give a fuck kind of thing that they, they're not – they're retired, right? They're not in the, in the social construct. They hit an age where they do what they want, right? You've, you've put in your time. You've paid your dues, right? They're not in the corporate structure, so – Natural Japanese black hair, brown eyes, whatever, not expected. Okay, so a lot of them will dye their hair, and the younger kids do it too, um, especially going through school and whatnot. And then they go out into the workforce, and it there's a sudden change. Right, every once in a while you'll see an exception, but that's what it is. It's an exception, but they dye their hair uh, brown because they um, they think that brown is uh, the most attractive color or a more natural color, that kind of thing, right? Um, weird stuff. So anyway, <coughs> so there's still this attraction, just like people here, right? And think about how many of us are attracted to Asian things, not just because they're part of the martial tradition that we're a part of or the symbology and what it does to help us move forward and whatnot, but it's not our everyday. So, and then we start thinking about that being better than 
this or you know, whatever. Right? It's, I, it's just a part of you, you know, the way ego kind of gauges things, right? Uh, sometimes people do it because it's a need to be different, right? That, uh, it's the individual trying to express itself, right? Same thing there, right? But anyway, so you got this calendar kind of thing. And in China, um, it's a 12-day process, right? And there's there's like 12 days leading up to the actual Chinese New Year, and then there's there's stuff that goes on afterwards. And during those 12 days, and this this was the same, uh, when, I, when I do this research, this is the same across all kinds of cultures, and these cultures never even bumped into each other. You can see how China uh, uh, influenced Japanese things because the Chinese education-wise and philosophy and all that is way farther ahead, so they would send people, the Japanese would send people over there to learn. It's how Shingon, it's how Tendai, it's how Mikyo got to Japan, it's how Buddhism in general got to Japan, right? Those kind of things. Um, but during that time leading up to the actual celebration, they're cleaning house, they're getting rid of stuff, they're making amends with uh, people that they've had uh, uh, problems with or whatever, because it's a period and a time for getting your shit taken care of, okay, so that you can truly start new, start fresh, okay, we'll talk about that here in a minute, okay, um, but there's this, there's this big kind of a leading up to, okay, um, so that, and this is a huge thing, right, so that we don't have the feeling that it's just another day just because one calendar ran out and we took the next calendar out of its plastic rack and wrap and hung it up. Okay. We had a party, we had a little celebration, we set some goals, but in an hour, in a day, in a week, we're off the wagon and doing whatever else. Right. There's a huge difference in in the perspective, right, on on how these things happen, right. So we'll talk about some of these these uh, uh, a couple of these things because I don't I'm not gonna I can't go into like all of it, but um, James, was there any questions or comments or anything that came up during that little that little spiel? In there? Oh. Jason Schaefer's on and said good evening. Jason's quarantined because of COVID. Oh. You know, he'll do anything to get out of seminars, right? It's not coming to back home, you'll sign. Some people, I tell you, you know, <laughs> we go dance in a COVID lake. So I, you have to believe me. I got a positive test. Just kidding, Jason. Don't worry about it, man. <laughs> oh, that's all I see right now. Okay, cool. All right. So, um, so let's, let's stay on this idea of this, this fresh beginning. Okay. Um, so let's look at the phrase that they use for what we in, in English translate as Happy New Year. And it's not that it doesn't imply that. But if you break down the the Japanese phraseology, and most Japanese, right, if you talk to them, whatnot, um, 
they'll, you know, if, you, if they're just doing a cursory thing or they don't have time to go into things much more deeply for you, or they're like a lot of Westerners who just don't friggin' know, right? Um, they'll tell you, oh, yeah, yeah. Happy New Year. Okay? But there's a lot of significance to the words, okay? And actually, the one that is typically used, the one that I used at the very beginning, is a truncated form. It actually drops off the word for year. Okay? Because the full phrase should be shonin, shonin, right? So one is for year, okay? But akimaste is a conjugated verb, right? The root verb is akiru, okay? And then ometodo has a specific meaning, and then gozaimas just makes something very, very formal. So if I were saying it to uh, friends or peers or family, there's even a way to truncate the stuff, right? I was looking at this thing trying to, uh, a while back, I was trying to learn another way to say it. And then I finally found somebody <laughs> who explained why the words are that way. Cause you can't find the words in dictionaries. And it's like the Japanese are like, <laughs> if you think American Southerners way back in the day were experts at truncating things, right? Like Eli Whitney did not invent the cotton gin. Okay. Eli Whitney invented the cotton engine but cotton gin it is <laughs> right so um but there are these phrases that literally take a syllable off the front end of each of these words and shove them together right so anyway um so if we look at these right we we start to see that something very different is occurring right and actually you know what before i get to that let me talk about something else. If you got a chance, well, you know what? I'll just bring it up again. If you saw the slide that went out for promoting uh, um, the episode, and I, I always let the thing run for 30, 45 seconds, a minute, whatever, before the episode starts, right? In the upper left-hand corner, right, there's that little red character face kind of thing, right? Two eyes staring at you kind of thing, right? Um, that's called a Daruma doll, right? A Daruma. D-A-R-U-M-A. Daruma is one of the Japanese ways of saying Dharma, okay? Spelled D-H-A-R-M-A, which in Sanskrit means truth. It's the what is, okay? Ultimate truth, right? Um, so Daruma, and there's a whole history behind it that it's based on this, uh, uh, this monk, um, that literally peeled off his own eyelids so he couldn't close his eyes. And so he would constantly be in a state of a state of being awake and meditating. And um, it got me beat because I'm not all, of course, I have to find the right eyelid to rip off um, based on these eyes. But anyway, um, so the Daruma is a type of goal setting device. Okay. And there are different, different things that you can get, uh, you know, to, to focus on goals or, uh, blessings or good juju or whatever, right? There's, uh, <laughs> the 
in the comments of my videos, they've often been called price tags that I forgot to take off my belt or off my uniform. But these omomori, these little, they look like padded or, or brocade kind of uh, uh, things that hang off that you can get at Shinto shrines, you can get at um, Buddhist temples and things like that. Um, there's there's something inside. I would say it's like Pandora's box, but you're not letting out evil. Uh, you'll actually let out good juju, right? But the the things inside are blessed by uh, a priest and whatnot, and then they're put in there and or whatever, right? So there's things in there for happy and successful marriage. There's things for every, things for kids passing tests in school, uh, traffic or driving safety, whatever. Right? Um, the ones that I hang off my belt, one is for uh, success that I got at um, Kyomizu Temple in Kyoto, which, for anybody that cares, was uh, the temple used for several of the scenes in the movie The Last Samurai. Okay. Uh, but anyway, I got that, and then I have one from uh, Togakushi, Jinja. The, I got it from the middle shrine of the three that I walk my students when we do our pilgrimage uh, while we're over there. And uh, it actually has, it's a black one, and it has... Um, the center die of the Taizokai mandala, right? The eight characters and the, the one in the center. So the nine characters that are there, which represents uh, empowerment, uh, awakening, those kind of things, right? So these stay with me. Not only uh, do they have significant meaning in and of themselves, but they also, um, to me, it's about, it's, it's about what it does for me, right? They connect me to two very important places that are connected to our martial lineage. So anyway, but to some people who don't know what they're looking at, right? They're just price tags. Right? They were expensive price tags. But anyway, right, the donation that I gave. So <coughs> um, where was I going with that? Um Oh, the Duruma, right? So uh, the Duruma, when you get them, now red is a very, very common color, but colors could be different in different regions. But there's also certain regions where you can get a set of different colors or you can just choose a particular color, not because you like it, but because the color represents something. It represents some could be, uh, and it's all about success, right? I want to have success uh financially i want to have success um in uh relationships i want to have success whatever right so red is just one of those things that's kind of a catch-all kind of thing because on the mandala the color red or it's actually a reddish orange represents uh light and life that western realm uh on the mandala anyway so um but the duruma when you get them Everything, unless you get one that's blank and you're going to paint it, which is very, very rare, uh, everything's painted, but the eyes are just completely blank white. They're the original color of the material that it's made from, right? It's just blank, right? And so as a goal-setting device, and we've done this a couple of times where we've done like a, a New Year's, new goal kind of thing, right? We typically do a, a GOMA uh, active uh, meditation 
ceremony that's borrowed from Nikyo uh, and focused on the whole, well, it's focused on success anyway, but <clears throat> it's, it's a way to help people break the barrier of just doing New Year's resolutions and you know, kick in the ass, so to speak, right? But it's, a, it's all one symbolic thing, right? You're literally in that time frame doing everything that is necessary to do to accomplish the goal in that moment and putting those intentions out in the world. And then all you have to do is go and do it in real time. Because in your head, if you've done it correctly in your subconscious, you have already created that outcome. And now all you have to do is meet it at that given point that you decided that you can have it done by in time and space. But it has to be done within a year. And this is a key, this is a key time frame. So <coughs> with the Daruma, when you set a goal, you color in one of his eyes and then you set that Daruma someplace where it's going to be staring at you on a regular basis. Okay. So that it's a constant reminder of something not accomplished. Okay. Which I think is really, really important because if, if we let ego do what ego does, especially with regard to how it handles hardship and things it doesn't want to have to do, Right. Procrastination, all that kind of shit. Right. Um, pretty soon we've forgotten that we want to do that. And then we remember, oh, shit, I need to work on that. And it's been weeks. It's been months. It might even be years. Right. And so anyway, it's put there. Right. And um, then when you accomplish the goal, you paint in the other eye. And you set it someplace. That. It's going to be looking at you because now it's an example of, but here's this thing. A lot of people think that like when I, when I did this, uh, when we do the Nikyo thing or the, the Goma and I tell them that whatever goal they're going to be setting, right? The only stipulation, like I wanted to make it as fucking crazy as they could possibly make it. Right. I want them to not believe that they can make it happen. Okay, and I've had people do that, and then tell me later on down the line. One guy told me on Togakushi, on Togakure Mountain, that nine months before, that's the one that was the goal, and he had no idea how he was going to get there. But right, the only stipulation is that that goal has to be attained by December 31st of that year. So when we do the Goma on Sunday afternoon after lunch before training resumes. This year, right, so on January 6th, uh, 7th, sorry, January 7th, 2024, when people go through that process, the thing that they choose, and some are going to play it safe, because that's where ego always leans in that direction, right? But the goal has to be attained by December 31st, 2024, or sooner. Because the rule of time management left to ego's devices is a goal or whatever, whatever task needs to be done will always take the amount of time you've given yourself to do it plus 
because people forget to account for shit that gets in the way. Okay? But they have learned, and this, this is everything from social programs in the Nordic countries that everybody holds in high esteem to all these things that when people have a deadline, they don't start working on the thing that they have to do at that deadline. Let's say it's years, right? Six months seems to be the magic number. Okay. So if they had five years of benefits, then they had to, they were forced to get a job. Nobody starts looking for a job until six months out or sooner. Cause you know, shit, shit's going to run out. Oh no. Okay. So to save money, these countries moved it back to three years. Guess what? Two and a half years in, that's when people start looking for a job. They moved it back to two years. 18 months in, that's when people start looking for a job. What's that tell you? As long as it's not going to be uncomfortable, fuck it. Right? So I'm a big fan of making goals uncomfortable. Because unless you have a reason to do it, I mean, think about it. A lot of us, a lot of us guys are way older than we were when we first started in this art. Right? So, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that the why we're doing it has changed. And I'm betting that in the early days, when we were training all the time, besides, you know, maybe not having as many responsibilities or whatever, but see, I got older guys that have little to no responsibilities because they're, uh, they're retired or whatever, and they're in class all the time, right? James, I'm thinking Fred and some of these other guys, right? Richard, Richard's down to, I mean, he's very ill. <coughs> Excuse me, not that kind of ill, worse. Um, he doesn't miss a week. And if he does, we find out later he was in the hospital. Okay. Um, but I'm betting that the why was, was such that it was a driver. And I don't care if it was, I gotta have my black belt. I need for other people to look at me like I'm all that in a bag of fucking microwave popcorn. I don't care what it was, but it was a huge driving factor. Right. And while it's natural for wise to change, if we want to answer the question, why am I not more engaged? Or why is there not more fire in the belly? Or why am I comfortable with enough and then a little bit or whatever? Why is not strong enough? The why makes the what and how, right? My big exploration now is into um, new uh, psychology. It wasn't, I say new psychology. It reinforces the Mikio stuff, right? But instead of it just being a practice because that's the practice and it being a philosophy, like science, the new brain science and all that is proving that this is just the way the brain works, right? So... Um, there's this imperativeness, right? The why makes everything different. Right? And there's this, there's this uh, idea in Mikio um, that you decide what you want your future to be. You decide what you want your future self to be. And you start acting like that now as though it were already true. And what it does, and this is not the delusional thing. This is not somebody walks around like they're just all that in a bag of chips. 
but it's delusion. It's done to filter out 95% of our existence and to recognize that, like, I have to let go of probably 80% of my habit patterns and what I've, everything from beliefs and whatnot, all the way leading up to this point, because I can't be that thing with this stuff, right? There's 20% of what I believe, what I know, the skills I have and whatnot that are universal. They will carry forward. But having the why now and, and living as that persona causes me to make decisions, right, positive and negative, right, to create that thing, okay? Just like that old thing that was really popular, what was it, back in the 80s maybe, early 90s, that had bracelets and all that stuff, right, WWJD, what would Jesus do? And then somebody else came out with WWBD, what would Buddha do, right? But the per the idea of it was to not be the you that you're trying to change, right? So if you need, with, with that, and that's more of the exoteric, uh, not, not Mikio, it's more of the standard kind of stuff, which is I'm going to follow in their footsteps. I'm going to do it because they did it, and that's proof that that produces the kind of reality that I want, but that's still present to future projecting kind of thing, right? I'm just using, borrowing something else that's been proven, kind of like our martial art, right? But the Mikio way of doing it is to look at the end result. What does that person know? What does that future me know? What skills do they have, right? What, you know, how do people treat them? All that kind of stuff, right? And then that dictates the what I do, the how I do it, all that. It's pretty, pretty freaking amazing that modern science is, you know, catching up this stuff that in the case of Nikki, it's 1600 years old. In the case of the stuff that supports it is, if we do with the official name, it's over 2,500 years um, back. And if we go to the supporting things in the Vedic and uh, other uh, spiritual tradition before that shit, we're looking at five, 6,000 years, right, of proven stuff. So anyway, right, but what, what does all this have to do with the Daruma? No, I didn't take a, I didn't take a, a, a side street. This is all connected this, this year, okay? So... Um, New Year's, not only is there a bunch of bell ringing, right, to bring in the New Year, but that whole day at a lot of Buddhist temples, people are bringing their old Daruma dolls, their old Daruma. We're talking about hundreds, if not thousands, because while a lot of Japanese are not spiritual most of the year. Okay? There's a saying in Japan that for a Japanese person, they go to a temple once a year. Okay, and That sounds like they're not very spiritual, except that most Japanese have Shinden and Kamiza and Butsudan and things like that in their homes. 
Okay, so they have this this way to practice. They don't need to go to the temple. A lot still do, especially if it's in the neighborhood. Or I've met people on Togakushi um, that doesn't matter how much snow's on the ground, they'll do it in snowshoes or whatever. Um, they walk from their home up this big old freaking path that takes an hour one way. Okay, um, we've jogged it and done it in 40, 45 minutes, but takes this amount of time to get up this thing and it's it gets steeper and steeper as it goes uh but they do it daily okay so um but new year's new year's is the thing right because it's setting the and it's about this renewal it's setting this 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 setting the stage right but the daruma and bringing them to the temple is a part of the cleansing okay you're not just cleaning out old shit but think about this, okay? How many of those Daruma that are brought do you think have both eyes filled in? Some, because that's a part of non-attachment, right? I'm not going to rest on my laurels because I accomplished that thing, okay? What's the new thing? But by and large, most of them only have one eye painted in. Some have none, have neither of the eyes painted in because they never got around to it. But, again, this is a symbolic thing. They bring it to the temple, and then at a certain point, right, like the doors are closed kind of thing, right, and then the priests have a bonfire, and they burn them all, okay? And, see, that's the Buddhist equivalent to Shinto shrines that, if you've ever been to these things, right, you can give a donation and shake out this little thing and a stick pops out and has a number on it or there's a little drawer that you go, whatever, right? And then there are these little fortunes, okay? Well, if you've ever been to a, a, a Shinto shrine or a Japanese temple, there's a tree or a rack, okay? And you will either see these paper ribbons that look like they came out of a fortune cookie, but a little bit longer that are tied to these things, tied to the, to the branches, or <coughs> there are these wooden plaques, right? I have a couple in the cummies up in the back room of our dojo at the school. They're just kind of propped up on things. Um, these plaques, you can get them for success and well wishes and things like that, right? I got them for empowering the dojo, but some people get them where they will write out something positive or, but more often it's negative, Right. It's something they want to get rid of. It's an illness that a family member has or whatever. And then they hang these things on the racks. And the belief is that the winds come along and blow the bad shit away. Okay, so if you get one of these fortunes, that's not a good one. You tie it to the tree so that it gets blown away from you as opposed to you holding on to it. Kind of things not like American fortune cookies where everything is like, you know, it's just freaking awesome. Um, so again, all this symbology, right? Just, it's just this, this stuff, right? But they burn them, right? And it's done yearly. You, at the end of the year, the old Daruma go and get burned. So the wasted time or procrastination or laziness or whatever prevented that from happening or the old goal. Right. I'm weighed weighed down by the fact that I just haven't accomplished things. And now I've got guilt. I've got shame. I've got whatever. Right. 
It's going to be burned away. Okay? Because in Nikyo, fire is a cleansing thing as much, and a purifying thing, as much as it is an energy for accomplishment. Like that fire in the belly kind of thing. Okay? So, um, there's this, there's this time frame. Right? This is not a, gee, I hope someday, or someday I want this to happen, or this would be nice, right? These devices are specific goals, right? And the symbol is based on this character, whatever, meditation, which, and, and, and the whole background of Bodhidharma, that was his name, Bodhidharma, was about discipline, was about Focus was about not letting your eyes close. Okay? Eyes open. Okay? Forward moving. Discipline. Okay? And accomplishing the task that set us on the path. Okay? No excuses, which is symbolic of why that, why why his eyelids, why he ripped off his eyelids, right? Didn't want his eyes closed, <clears throat> right? Wanted to be awake at all times and aware, constant living meditation, not eyes closed, not escapism, not, and certainly not comfort. Holy shit, right? Talk about somebody sleeping with their eyes open. <laughs> <laughs> that friggin' eerie. Anyway, so I have to throw out humor every once in a while. So, anyway, so here's this here's this time limit, right? Um, so, you got this ringing in the new year, but you also have this stuff that goes on um, to get rid of the impediments to a new thing. Okay. All right. So we'll come back to the phrase here in just a minute. But James, questions, comments. James gets to be everybody's surrogate so we can keep the jack wagons from hijacking the system. No, I don't see anything. Okay. So let's go back to Akimashite Omete Gozaimasu. So we'll start with Gozaimasu, again, just making something really, really formal. If I were talking to friends or uh, coworkers or whatever, I would probably just say Akimashite Omete Okay. And then again, there's this phrase afterwards. We'll talk about that in a minute. But, um, ometido, right? If anybody's a member of the school or if you've been with me long term or whatever, you have probably either heard me say this to you. Like if you're at the school, you've heard me say it every test, right? Whether you understood what you consider to be gibberish coming out of my mouth or not, doesn't matter. And if we've uh, been discussing something or, you know, maybe you uh, reviewed uh, for something, you know, did a video review on some skills or whatever, and uh, I acknowledged that or whatever, then it would be in, in written form, okay? But the, the phrase, omedito, or more formally, omedito gozaimas, means and can mean Congratulations. It can mean uh, like way to go. It can mean that kind of thing, right? So it's it's kind of an acknowledgement of a success. Okay. So 
uh, when I hand someone their certificate, when I promote them, right? Make them Zymos, okay? I'll make them Zymos, right? Congratulations, right? Well done, okay? That kind of thing, right? Well, what the hell does that have to do with Happy New Year? Congratulations. Well done. You made it. What? Okay. Ah, see, let's go back to Akemaste. Akemaste is a, is a, is a conjugated, uh, verb, right? So, Akeru, A-K-U-R-E, as we would write it with, uh, Romaji, <coughs> does imply beginning, kind of, right? Like, Hajime. Hajimeru, right? Of Hajimemaste, right? Uh, like, uh, nice meeting you for the first time kind of thing. Um, dozo Yurushku is the follow-up to that, which is please treat me well. <laughs> so, please don't abuse me. Anyway, um, so, but Akaru points to the dawning of something, or even the dawn, like the morning, a new day kind of thing, right? So if you put the the word for year ahead of it, then, okay, now you're saying we're, we're starting or there's the dawn of a new year kind of thing. But when these words go together, there's more of an implication of a, Congratulations on starting a new year safely, of starting a new year well, right? Of starting a new year clean, right? So it's like, it's almost like a cosmic do-over, okay? Because <coughs> what stops a lot of people from from things is they keep getting weighed down by all the shit that's not done. And at a certain point, sometimes you just have to erase the board. There's too many freaking notes on it. You can't read it anymore. Everything's in everybody and everything's in everything else's way. Right? So it's it's not just a hey new year, but there's this Right. Congratulations. Right. You've made it. If you think about all the people who haven't. Some people are in a hospital bed. Some people are in a hospital bed that may only have a couple hours or a couple of days more. They certainly didn't start the new year safely. Right? Some people. Like my mother-in-law. Right, doesn't get a chance to start a new year. So here's a new opportunity to start fresh. We've done this, right? So the way I tend to translate Akimaste Umetodo Kazaimas is congratulations on your new opportunity. Congratulations on your new, on your new dawn, right? On your, on your ability to restart. No matter how many times you've done it, right? You can restart. This goes along with our uh, the phrase "nana korobi yaoki," okay? Nana korobi yaoki. Nana seven korobi down, like a falling down, 
Yah is an old, that's another way to say eight. And, uh, Oki is getting up, picking yourself up kind of thing, right? So one is falling down, one is picking yourself up. <clears throat> so the, the general phrase, and we've got to, James, remind me, uh, this week getting back, we've got to get that, uh, that note in rehung in the back classroom before, uh, Dicomio side this weekend. Okay. Got this big note in, if you know what that is, these, these, they look like split curtains that hang in doorways in Japan. It's a, it's a Shinto device. Um, people just get them for decorations, right? Uh, but it has a split uh, thing on it. And when you walk through it, you're not supposed to move it out of the way. You're supposed to walk through it. Okay. And again, it's like a brushing away, right? It's, it's this thing. And what I found about, um, especially Eastern, uh, spirituality is that there was often, most often, simultaneously, a very, like, woo-woo, uh, spiritual reason for doing it. And then the backside of it, there's a very mundane, everyday reason, right? Like when we, when we extinguish the flames on candles or when we freshly lit incense or whatever, right? You fan the flames to get them to go out. You don't blow it. Okay, so the spiritual reason for doing it is you want to exert just enough effort to accomplish the task. You don't want to overdo it and you don't want to exert your force on things. Right. Um, So it's about mindful action. The mundane reason is if you blow out the candles or you blow out the incense, you blow ash and wax all over the altar that you're going to have to clean up later. So it's just, they go hand in hand, right? So it's the same thing with, um, with this, this, I lost it. <laughs> what are we on, James? <clears throat> You're on this. I didn't freeze. Sorry. I'm not having an Alzheimer's moment. I'm just. <laughs> you were talking about the note and. Oh, yeah, yeah, Noden. Thank you very much. Okay, so Noden is a Shinto device, right? Um, So there's this idea that when you walk through it, right, it it wipes, you know, negativity. So when you walk into a new room, you're walking in clean, okay? But if you know anything about Japan or a lot of the Eastern countries, they're fucking hot and they're humid and you're sweating. So basically it's a towel that you lightly wipe the sweat and stuff as you pass back and forth. And of course it gets cleaned regularly and stuff like that, but it's again, both. Now some people are going to hear the mundane thing and go, Oh, see, that's just right. I mean, they just made up the spiritual stuff. Right. Um, and then some people are going to want to lean toward the spiritual stuff and go, you know, I don't want to think about the mundane stuff. That's disgusting. But the reality is that both are going on at the exact same time, okay? Because I need to be mindful of, like, I may have just had a bad experience in the room that I'm in, talking to somebody, dropped something, irritated myself or whatever. I'm going to walk into this next room, and I've got something I have to do. I have, to, I have something I have to remember. Or I have somebody else that I'm going to talk to, okay? This is a mindful way of remembering, you know, mindfully passing through and leaving the shit behind so that 
everything's clean here. I'm not treating this person based on my my last encounter or engagement with the with the previous person. I'm not, you get the idea, right? So, but same thing. If I'm going to meet somebody on the other side or whatever, right? Last thing I want to do is walk through with like sweat pouring down my face and looking like the you know worst example of myself. Even if they're working in the same hot conditions as I am, right? There's this, and I don't have to remember. I don't have to carry a towel with me. I don't have to whatever, right? So while things are set up to take care of things, they have to be set up mindfully to, be, mindfully to begin with, right? But we're going to simultaneously take care of the mundane while focusing on on the we'll call it superior or whatever, right? The, 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 the higher level of thinking at the same time. But anyway, we have this Noren that had these Doruma. It's, it's an image it's painted on, right? There's a, a big banner that's on it. And then there's a small banner that's painted on it. And then there are these Doruma dolls, right? Um, and it's actually a dark blue. And the reason I chose it is because in Mikyo, this dark blue represents um, uh, being unstained, Right, being pure. There's no impurities. Okay, it's like a flame. The hottest part of a flame is the blue part at the very bottom. Right, the part that gets everybody's attention, the yellow and the orange and all that kind of stuff that's flickering. That's all impurities being burned off in the air. Right, it's the blue part that's the hottest, the cleanest, that kind of thing. Right. So anyway, so on the big banners, there's this. There are these two kanji uh, for success. And then the other thing has the kanji for narakorobi yaoki, right? This reminder. Right? Again, it's not about seven or eight. It's nin, right? You keep getting back up. If the thing that you're doing is worthwhile, you keep getting your ass back up until you can't or until you've accomplished the thing. Right? On uh, Hiezan, on Mount Hie, uh, there is a... There's one of the three hells that people will often sign up for uh, when they enter <coughs> the order for practice. And it's, each one is 100 days straight. And one of, those, uh, one of those hells is known as the running hell. Okay? And so uh, these, these people that do it are known as the marathon monks of Mount Hie. There's a really good book that's out uh, that describes how the whole thing is called. And that's exactly what it's called, the marathon monks of of TA or something, yeah. Uh, but anyway, so they started the temple, right? They've only gotten two to maybe, maybe four hours of sleep uh, a night uh, because they have all this prep stuff they have to do for the next day when they get back. But they go down the mountain. There's this path they go down. There's these little shrines along the way, and they have to do a, a blessing at each one. Uh, they go down into Kyoto proper, and they go around this circuit, right? And they do a blessing at these particular temples. And not all the temples are connected to the not all Tendai temples. Okay. The whole idea is everything and everyone is worthy of blessing, empowerment, that kind of thing, right? And then they come back up the mountain and whatever. So I know some of you guys have already heard me discuss these things. So I apologize. Just give me a minute to catch everybody else up. Uh, but these monks, um, in addition to uh, a Vajra or Kongo, right, these little implements that are used and their Jizu and whatever, right, 
They also carry a dagger and they carry a length of rope. Okay. And the purpose of those two things is that if any point along uh, uh, during the hundred days that either they decide to quit or they become injured and cannot continue sprain an ankle, whatever. Okay. They've already taken a vow to commit seppuku. So they have a choice. Right? They can use the dagger or they can hang themselves. That's commitment. I will do this or I will die trying. There's a lot of stuff behind these these things. And again, I, I question anyone who says I only want to do it, I only want to do it the traditional way. I'm betting not. I'm betting not. But we can use what we can, right? So, anyway, Akimashite Obeni Zu Uzaimas. So, let's say James says it to me first. Okay? Akimashite Obeni Zu Uzaimas. There you go. Okay. Thanks, James. He didn't, he didn't even see his lips move. Did you see that? Right? Um, so, I will repeat it back. I'll say Akimashite Obeni Zu Uzaimas or just Omeni Zu Right. <clears throat> Which is saying the same thing back. It's just a mirroring. And then I will say, uh, or sometimes like if we're peers or whatever, we'll say the same thing at the same time to each other. Right. As we bow or whatever. Right. So, Kotoshimo Hiroshiku, Okay. So when you hear the translations of these, it can sound like, why would you say that to a friend? Why would you say that to a coworker? Why would you? Okay, but this is a really what I'm going to be coming at this with is a really rough kind of English translation to something that again doesn't translate well outside of Japan. It's the sentiment. It's the it's the the meaning or the well wish that comes along with it, right? So I've got three possibilities that I'll give you. but the other per- when I say it to James, he will know which one or substitute the right thing in his head because he'll know what I mean, even though the, I'm going to give you three different possible literal kind of things. He will know what I'm expressing. OK, so one of these that I have is more like somebody who's a customer or client. Um, one of these is somebody who um, you're just like friends with, right? You're just you're, you're kind of moving through life together, at least at this point, right, together. And uh, the other one is more like, um, like if I'm working with somebody or I'm on a project with somebody or working on uh, accomplishing the same task. So... You get the idea, James. You understand where I'm going with this, okay? So, Kotoshimo Hiroshiku Omitezaimas again, roughly, translates to either uh, "I look forward to working with you again this year," or uh, "I look forward to another great year with you." Right? Again, right? Continuing on, or 
uh, I look forward to uh, your continued patronage again this year. Again, see, they all sound different. It's not literal. It's the same phrase. But um, I hope that our relationship continues in a positive way, in a win-win way. Right? I'm looking forward to our interactions continuing over this year. Right? So uh, that's different than, you know, hey, Happy New Year. Eh. Yeah, I guess. Interesting, huh? So, uh, anyway, so just a couple of things, right, about the way it's done, how it's different. It's it's not the same as, like, Woohoo! Happy New Year! Pop the bubbly, fire off the, and they, you know, they'll fire off fireworks and stuff like that too. But it's, it's more like, again, going back to that bell, it's more like the ringing of a bell. Because in Mikyo, we enter meditation, we come back out of meditation, right? The ringing of the bell is this moment that draws your mind. To this point, to this thing, as opposed to scattering energy to the winds to the point of exhaustion or regurgitation or whatever, depending on what your New Year's was like. Okay. But uh, to me, the difference is in how we see the bridge, how we see a crossing over, right? It's it's not just moving from one day that was in one calendar year to another day that's in another calendar year. It is a cleaning of house and a moving forward, right? Now, we're also, right, from the Asian perspective, we're also passing from a year of one animal Right. To a year of another one. But not only are we passing from one animal to another, in this case, we're moving into the realm of the year of the dragon, <coughs> which suits warriors just fine. Thank you very much. Um, but what are we talking about? When we're talking when we're talking about a dragon, because we just look at the Chinese definition. Mm, usually not the same. Or if we look at the everyday symbology of the dragon it's often not like what we're talking about as warriors when we reference the dragon okay so and it's not as easy as that right when when you sit down at the chinese restaurant and you have a little placemat that has the 12 the 12 animals of the zodiac right uh most people look at that and go oh, okay so it's like a 12-year cycle, right? No, it's a 60-year cycle, right? Because not only are those 12 animals rotating, but the five elements of the Gogyo, right? Water, wood, fire, earth, and metal. Uh, if you're in... James, did I do... I just did a lesson on that, didn't I? 
for the uh, realm, the tactical warrior uh, program? Did I do that in a um, personal development thing a week or two ago? I think so. I think so. Okay. Either that or I did it a whiteboard Wednesday. All these lessons are just freaking mismatched in my head anymore because I'm just doing these data dumps. Um, but these give the animal kind of a certain flavor, so to speak. Not that you're going to cook it, but <laughs> you get the idea. Um, <coughs> so, like, I was uh, born in uh, the year of the tiger. Now, again, this is where people get thrown off because you look at those those animals, and if your birthday was in mid to late January through early to mid February, you could have been following the wrong animal because that zodiac is based on the lunar cycles, not the solar cycles. Okay. So, uh, I was born in 1963, January 8th of 1963. Right. So for the longest time, I thought my character was the rabbit. Okay. I couldn't figure out why I didn't match up. And eventually I just went, screw this. This stuff doesn't work. And then I learned this critical piece of information. Right. You know, people say, you're being too anal. You're being too particular. Yeah, well, that's a Nikyo thing. Um, because missing one little piece of information could drastically change everything. And it did, right? Um, January 8th, way early in January, okay? Way before the lunar new year that year, which I think was late in January, right? So I was born at the tail end of 62, which is, which was a tiger year but it wasn't just a tiger year it was the year of the water tiger so the way these things revolve and the way they change every year right different element different animal that kind of thing right so even though every 12 years of my life was a year of the tiger it wasn't until my 60th year which means I was 59 if you do the math, right? People don't understand that because they keep forgetting to count 0 to 12 as the first year, right? Your birthday is not, when you say, I'm this old, you're only that old for a day. You enter the next year's thing. The birthday is not a, it's an anniversary, right? It's... As a matter of fact, the day before your birthday was when you were exactly whatever age you're giving yourself. So, 60, right? No, I'm in my 61st year. I celebrate on January 8th because that's what Westerners do. But January 8th becomes day one of my 62nd year. So, that one threw me off, too, until I figured it out, right? So... Uh, last year was you're the water tiger. It took 60 years to come back full circle to live, right? But again, right, sometimes it can take a long time and a lot of maturity and a lot of knowledge and a lot of experience to hit a level where you can actually live something to 
the potential that's there, if that makes sense. Okay. So um, I'm just going to talk about Dragon. We can talk about the – I'm going to hold off the wood part until we do something around the Chinese New Year because I'm going to do something then as well. So first, just from a basic East I'm – I'm just going to use the term Chinese for the moment – uh, astrological kind of thing with the tiger, or not, with the dragon, sorry, with the dragon. The dragon, we have to also remember that uh, I know a lot of people that are all jazzed about dragons because, you know, Eastern stuff and all that, except that I go to their place or I see the stuff they have, and what they have are Western dragons, okay? And Western dragons are often nothing like, and they don't mean the same thing as Eastern dragons, Okay. So the dragon in this context from uh from this kind of perspective represents power nobility success right? there's some other things in there as well but these are the big 3 things okay because the dragon in the east is less flying reptilian-like. Well, still reptilian, but <coughs> it's not like you took a lizard and attached, uh, a, you know, bat wings or whatever to it, or you know, and it breathes fire and all that kind of stuff. Um, and again, all these things are different in, in the East as well, right? Because Japanese uh, dragons don't have wings as in the small wings that are right here. Um, they have like these big old whiskers and stuff. Uh, Chinese dragons have the wings, right? And the symbology is different if it has five toes or four toes or whatever. Anyway, so, um, but the Chinese dragon or the Eastern dragon is more serpentine because it represents adaptability, flexibility, longevity, those kind of things, okay? So, uh, anyway, you have this, but from the martial realm, right, especially from what I've learned from Matsumi Sensei, right, the dragon is the counterbalance to the realm of the tiger. These are two very, very specific realms that the, the warrior is balanced between. Okay. There's this phrase, Koteki Roda. Uh, if you've ever seen some of these scrolls that you can get that have, uh, there's a tiger standing on a rock or something down below, you know, at the bottom of the scroll. And it's painted in a way that if you, if you pay attention to the way it's done, the tail's in a sp- specific kind of position, right? The tiger comes out, but it's looking up and around and up at the, at the dragon. And these two are roaring at each other, but the dragon is coming out of the clouds and it's making a very specific shape and it's growling down or roaring at the tiger. Okay. The roaring, and this, the, the, this is seen a lot in Mikyo figures, especially uh, the Tibetan term is Yabyum, where there'll be a male, like a bodhisattva and um, this female uh, Dakini, which is a balancing energy that are in, They're in a certain position, <laughs> okay? Um, but they have in their hands implements that are positioned 
like at the mastoid process or right behind the skull and stuff like that. And symbolically, what we're looking at is as long as there's balance, there's a lot of power, okay? Because each one keeps the other in check, okay? The male part, in this case in Mikyo, the male part represents um, like book knowledge and intellect and the sharpness of discernment. The female energy is about experience and um, when I say emotion, what I'm talking about is engagement with, right? So one is about knowledge and cutting through illusions and delusions and discipline and those hard characteristics. And the other one is about engaging with life, right? So life has meaning, okay? So if these two are out of balance, you have too much intellect, life is very cold and you have a hard time relating to other people. People have a hard time relating to you, right? Because you're just too freaking too analytical. You parse words and all that kind of stuff, right? But if you're too much on the experiential side, right, then what do you have? You have too carefree, too too much chaos, too much like flying by the seat of your pants, whatever, right? There's no structure to it. So symbolically, these these implements that they're holding and they're poised, right? At, so should one become too strong or whatever, the other one can kill it, okay? Or at the very least, cut it so that balance is maintained, right? So <clears throat> that's what's happening with the tiger and the dragon, right? Um, the Koltek Yuryoda means the tiger below the dragon above. Now, if you get a chance to look at one of these scrolls, okay, um, what you'll see, spoiler alert, what you'll see is that the two animals are forming the serpentine center of a yin-yang symbol. Again, it's pointing out balance, okay? From a warrior's perspective, the tiger realm represents our skills, knowledge, and ability on a battlefield. Okay? On a battlefield. Right? Um, the stuff that you definitely want to have there. Okay? The dragon, again, this is not like, you know, Lord of the Rings dragons helping to burn down the the realm or whatever, right? The dragon, okay, because each of these is, again, we're talking historically now and perceptions, okay? The dragon was seen as the strongest being or the strongest animal on the material plane of existence, okay? Now, ironically, You'll see lots of paintings and stuff in castles. And if you ever go to Japan with me and we go to Nijo Castle and whatnot, you see all these paintings and murals with tigers. Okay. But they're going to look sharpe. Because tigers are not indigenous to Japan. And the only thing the artists had to go by were the pelts that were imported, um, which, anyway, but China, back into India, Silk Road and all that, lots of tigers. Okay. So, um, seen as the strongest. Animal material plane, ferocity, right, courage, those kind of things. Um, that's 
that's the side of the warrior that has to produce results in deadly conditions. But the dragon was seen as the most powerful being on the spiritual plane or in the spiritual realm. Okay. Now, do we know anything about? No. Okay. Again, it's symbolic. Okay. But the idea with the dragon is that the dragon represents all the skills that a warrior needs to be successful in society when there is no war, when there is no physical battle. And this is where I think martial arts falls way, way short in today's world. Hatsumi Sensei believes it too. He's been teaching this for decades. He just didn't always say dragon and tiger, except during the year where that was the theme. The theme was Koteki Ryoda. But he writes just as much about philosophy as he does about martial arts techniques, if not more so. So this is the warrior's ability to be successful, to have a family, to love his children, to hug his wife, or flip-flop it however you need to, right? It's the ability to communicate effectively. It's the ability to get along with others. It's the ability to not reduce everything to a goddamn challenge or a threat or a contest, right? Ever once, way back in my early career, a teacher was discussing this and this irony. And Hatsumi Sensei has made mention about, you know, our duty to be successful, our duty to be rich, or to, I mean, the the dragon realm is having the tools that are necessary to help and protect people from dangers where a sword won't work, a shuto won't work, a gansakinage won't work. So the analogy that was given was, can you imagine... James Bond needing to get to a certain place to save the world and because of his lack of resources or inability to manage whatever needs to be managed (coughs) or lack of foresight or to be anybody less than what he chose to be. What did he choose to be? It's always in a freaking tuxedo, suave and debonair, whatever. Lives a high-class life, that kind of thing, right? But can you imagine him showing up to fight Dr. No or whoever by taking a Greyhound bus into town? Had to stop at 14 stops along the way, get off, stretch his legs, get there. the hell's his tuxedo and shoes and whatever going to look like when he drags his not-so-happy ass off that bus, right? And I I understand the extreme perspective on it, and everybody can live, you can live any way you want, And this is not about anything other than the symbology 
that is that is that is that this representing these lessons from past masters that we all say we want to live. I don't know. I've met lots of people in this martial art. I've made mention about this a couple of weeks ago. And I think <clears throat> maybe it was, was it, I don't know, maybe it was Victor and I during uh, first seven steps class or something like that, where some of these people should be, should consider themselves extremely lucky that they've gotten involved in a martial art where, in all honesty, rank was subjective. And um, they could get to a high level, but they don't have a violent bone in their body. So they're definitely way more over on the dragon side. But then there's others, more so, I think, that want it or, in all honesty, need it um, to be more on the, on the tiger side. Because either... Ego is already centered around the tough guy persona, or there is a lack of in their own heart, a lack of belief, doubt, envy, pride, whatever, that that's attractive. But without both, right? The warrior, the tiger warrior, tries to use some of those skills in everyday life. Jail's the least of his concern. Well, maybe lack of friends is the least of his concern, right? The angry mob showing up at his house. But the dragon warrior has to hope to God in all that they hold sacred that they never find themselves in the middle of a war. Because we can have skills on one side or the other. And the Taizokai Mandala maps this out very well. That for enlightenment, for mastery, for under whatever whatever that term is that we're looking for, balance and whatnot, we have to have both sides to not just balance themselves out, but so that no matter where we find ourselves, we have the knowledge, the skills, and the experience to be successful. So, again, we're moving into the year of the dragon. Power. Nobility. What does nobility mean? has nothing to do with class. I know that's where most people go. It has to do with the way you carry yourself. Right? With a sense of value. And <clears throat> at the very least, you're the king or queen of your freaking realm, of your kingdom. So there's things that we must have. There's ways that, and things that we must take care of, and there's things that we will not allow. Right? But nobility, 
I, I think a good modern word is professionalism. I remind students on a regular basis at the school, especially the kids, right? They come in, their uniforms are all rumpled and stuff like that. I'm like, don't come in here looking like you you just climbed out of a bag, right? This is where you learn to carry yourself like a professional because you don't have to work a profession. You don't have to be a doctor, accountant, lawyer, things, people that we normally think of as being a professional to be professionally minded, to be precise in your thinking and acting, to be timely, to be all of these things, to be well-mannered, to be uh, gracious, to be, you get the idea, right? So nobility, right? And success, right? To me, success is, and this is actually reflected, uh, one of my teachers, Shidoshi Malmstrom, Bud Malmstrom, for anybody who knows him, if you, if you ever get a chance to read or reread his book on warriorship, right? Um, he defined a character, the characteristics of a warrior as having the ability, knowledge, and means to be able to help anyone who was in trouble, in danger, in need, you have the resources, knowledge, and ability to help them in the way they need, and especially the people that you're responsible for. So uh, this goes right back to Samurai, right? It's the root verb behind the word that the conjugation that makes it a noun that everybody knows is samurai, right? Samurai, to serve. But you have to have the ability. You have to have the capability. Which is why I like the, the Warrior's Creed that comes out of the writings of, uh, of uh, Robert Humphreys, who was a mentor to Jack Hoban, one of the other of the three oldest longest training uh, Americans in this art, right? And <clears throat> it it sums it up beautifully, right? No matter where I go, anyone who needs one has a friend. No matter where I am, anyone, uh, anyone, oh, it's slipping. Anyone in trouble, right? Anyone who needs help, right? I'm there. <clears throat> and the third one is whenever I'm home, everyone's happy that I'm there. So again, this is where, where the hell's the fighting part? Well, it's in there, right? It's just not, we're not leading with it. <clears throat> James, you look like you're looking it up. I did. <laughs> uh, wherever I walk, everyone is a little bit safer because I am there. there you go. Wherever I am, anyone in need has a friend. Whenever I return home, everyone is happy I am there. Yeah. <clears throat> it, all, it all goes to living intentionally rather than accidentally. 
but that was the point of the whole uh, whole theme for today's lesson, right? The, the, the crux of it, though, is we have an opportunity, a new dawn, right? Drop the shit. Drop anything that's not serving us. And even if it's something that, you know, we, we meant to do, okay, well, then drop your definition of it. Because if I'm trying to get something done, I've been meaning to do. That's going to weigh heavily. It's still not done. It's still not done. It's still not done. It's still not. Drop the still. Just drop all of that and rewrite it down. Reestablish the goal as though it's the first time you're doing it. But that's what I have. I think I covered several realms. Hopefully they were all uh, connected. I don't know. If I didn't lose James, I don't think I'd... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I think that to do to get you to laugh. Anyway, I would say that he's a stoic, but I, I don't know. I don't know. See, he doesn't know either. Yeah. Anyway, all right, what do we got? Let's Let's open it up for questions, comments. Complaints, I'm good with those two. Trinity said, reminds me of Kung Fu Panda. He was the dragon warrior but didn't want to fight. I used to think it was Zod that it, that was his personality, and yet he was supposed to be the dragon. It makes more sense now with this understanding of a dragon. Hmm. Thanks for bringing Kung Fu Panda into things, Trin. Appreciate it. <laughs> now, there's a lot of symbology in those, in those, uh, in those, uh, Movies. A lot. It's a lot of symbology, uh, overt and very subtle and almost hidden in the Matrix trilogy. What else? Uh, Lee actually posted the Warrior Creed as well. He looked it up and posted it. That was it. That was it. All right. Well, two hours on the mark. So, uh, for those of you who are coming in, we still have some spots open. As a matter of fact, I had two people that had to drop um, from uh, dicomio size. So, we're down to 14, I think. Uh, So, uh, we start up Friday evening at 8 p.m. There is a virtual option for those of you who want to make that or can make that. And if you can't, don't want to, whatever, uh, another email went out. Uh, deadline is tomorrow at 5 p.m. Eastern for anybody who wants to pre-order the uh, camp videos. Uh, in previous years when I've offered these things out, we went right up to the start of things or the end of camp or whatever. But I always find that it, we never get anybody like last minute. Then and on top of that, um, I am will be finishing up the the live version of the first seven steps on the path relaunch. Um, we've got what three more classes for that. Um, we are I just uploaded the uh, technique lessons for week six of sixteen weeks. So we're not quite at halfway. 
uh, on our module two realm of the tactical warrior program. And I got to get ready for Daikomiosai and I'm neck deep in, uh, getting a book, uh, published for, uh, on workplace violence for, um, hospital, uh, leaders. So, um, yeah, I don't have time to be dancing around a bunch of these things and I've got my own future moving kind of things. Um, so, <clears throat> um, and that, that reminds me, the word so, uh, you're going to hear that from me quite a bit this year. Okay. I already gave James a heads up on this and I might have mentioned it before, right? Um, this will be the year of no tolerance for people that have nothing but complaints and no solutions. And I don't care if they're pulling a social justice thing on me or they're pulling a, I don't like the way you do things or whatever. My mantra is going to be so. And if they don't understand that in that moment, then I will say, what do you want me to do? The answer, I don't know, is unacceptable. Okay? Because some people just like to hear themselves complain. Okay? Two, just because you tell me what you want doesn't mean that I have to be okay with it. Okay? Uh, because I do have that, that vision in the future. Right. This is this is my year. Every year uh, I pull a different character off the mandala to work on. Okay? And uh, this year, in past years, uh, I've pulled everything from Fudo Myo. Uh, I, I thought I was going to do that moving up into this one. I, I think I mentioned that maybe in the last week or two. But uh, Fudo is already just implied in this thing, just like Kanon for compassion, just like Jizo for discipline. All of these things are implied. So instead of picking one of these, I'm actually doing the forward thinking thing. So my, my uh, character that I'm pulling off the mandala for this year is a character uh, uh, called Maitreya in Sanskrit. Uh, and it is the, uh, the Buddha to come, the master to come. It's the completed version. And so what that means is, uh, I'm going to be leading with the end result. So, uh, when people get yeses or noes or whatever from me, it's going to be based on that relating to and supporting the outcome and not being a good idea or a bad idea in the moment. Okay. Some people train because they like to train. I can't, I don't fault that. Okay. But some people train because they have, they know that there are certain, there are certain bad situations out there in the world that if they have to face that, the skills that they're going to need to handle that can't be, well, I've got these, and I hope that's enough. Right? They know what they're going to need to handle that, and then they're going to focus on, that's my priority. I've got to get these skills up to par if I have them, and if I don't have them, I need to get them. 
Okay. It's the difference between being a librarian and a cancer researcher. One person's in charge of the place where all the knowledge is stored, and one person couldn't give a flying rat's ass about 98% of that knowledge because it doesn't, it doesn't serve this. Right? A really good example, now this is from fiction, but I'm a huge Sherlock Holmes fan. Right, uh, Sherlock Holmes was a, was a fictional character, obviously. Right, <coughs> but if anybody knows the origin story of when Dr. John Watson met Sherlock Holmes, because all the stories, what people miss is the stories are all from the perspective of Dr. Watson, who worked with him. Right, it's all written in third per thir- first and third person, but when he first met him, he was thrown off by the fact that the smartest guy he had ever met didn't know that the earth revolved around the sun instead of the other way, or there were some other things that he, he popped at him as test. And he's like, why would I care? Well, everybody knows that. Well, apparently not, right? Because Holmes' only focus was on being the best criminologist that no criminal could commit an act that he could not deduce the reasoning of. And those other things were not important in the course of his life or anything outside of, what, answering a test question, right? right. So this is different. Right? It's different. Anyway, that's what I have. I appreciate everyone being on for not only a holiday, but not only for the first episode of 2024, but on the first day, first episode. Okay. And um, looking forward to going through another year with you again. There, I'll do it in English for you. Okay. So, Congratulations on having successfully and safely begun a new year. I'll leave you with one more piece of symbolism. You now have a blank book in front of you with 365 pages. Write a good one. I'll talk to you next time. Be safe. Get more of Kudan Radio, subscribe through your favorite podcasting site, or join our clan of serious modern warriors at OnlineNinjaAcademy.com.